So as John was saying, um, we had our bake sale last week, and I omitted uh, putting, putting an email out via Google Groups to thank all of you for being so generous and helping us with that. You're generous in your baking and generous in your eating. And, <laughs> um, and I just wanted to say a special thank you to um, both Pam Sands and to Becca Brimmer, who helped out with the bake sale. And um, they baked lots of stuff, and they helped to facilitate the sale. So thanks a lot. And to Gay for the pecan pies. Yeah. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, good to see you. Uh, hello, folks online. Hi, Mom. Um, so uh, I'm Scott Oakman. Um, I'm a member of the volunteer preaching team here. And as part of our summer series, Women of Faith, we're doing something a little different today. Uh, so I'm joined today by Anita, my wife of 36 years. And we're going to talk about a couple of our favorite uh, women of faith, uh, who in our case are Deborah and J.L. from the Old Testament book of Judges. With the exception of about a five-year hiatus to the Ann Arbor Vineyard in Michigan, we've been here since 1995. And just so you know that Scott doesn't mind following my lead, I was the one who introduced him to the vineyard. <laughs> After I'd participated in many, the, many of the um, Saturday night meetings that we had at the basement of the beer stube down the street, uh, it was, they were held during a period of time that we call the renewal uh, when the Holy Spirit fell quite heavily in demonstrable forms of prayer and healing and liberation. And those are all things that we long for to this day. And so, um, in that line, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in prayer. Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning. We ask you to come and move in your people. Please come and show us your, uh, your love for us and your words for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you've come to this church more than once or twice, you probably are more likely to have met Anita than uh, have met me. Uh, she leads our gardening group and co-leads the School of Kingdom Ministry with Justin Law and other people and directs the bake sale. Uh, so when Anita asked me if I, as a part of the volunteer preaching team, was going to be doing a sermon in this series on women of faith, I asked her, who should I pick? I suggested this subject that we have today because this chapter in Judges is one of the few places in the Old Testament where a woman is portrayed as a leader, in the case of Deborah. And for J.L., she is an independent thinker and an actor by her own volition. These are very unusual, non-stereotypical roles for this period of time, some 33 centuries ago. And yet, these stereotypes remain a part of American culture, and even more so, part of the culture of the Christian church today. The history of minimizing and negating women's voices is why 
I pretty much insisted that Anita take part in this with me. Um, and it's why I'm grateful that we've been emphasizing women of faith in our summer series. I'll add that the team was enthusiastic about me inviting uh, Anita to come up here. Some people actually suggested that we do this as a role play, but we really weren't getting many volunteers for the part of Sisera, who is the villain of the story. <laughs> But I think that the ways that a male-dominated history has neglected to acknowledge and celebrate the contributions of women, even in the most important events of our faith, is illustrated in this cartoon. So ladies, thanks for being the first to witness and report the resurrection, and we'll take it from here. <laughs> and it makes me think a lot about other women who have risen to the very highest levels of their professions and who have made lasting impacts on society, and yet somehow aren't known. For example, women in science and technology, like Katherine Johnson, who was literally a hidden figure until they made a movie about her, talking about how instrumental her calculations were to NASA's success in the Apollo missions. Or Rosalind Franklin, who literally taught Watson and Crick how to figure out the structure of DNA so that they could win the Nobel Prize for it. And as I've tuned into this idea, I've just had more and more examples coming up. Um, did you know that Mr. Rogers had a woman as a mentor? Margaret McFarlane. I just saw an article yesterday about her. And um, I heard them discussing on the radio a biography of Dolly Parton who talked about her overcoming sexism in the music industry and how much she has given her life now to encouraging the careers of others, especially up-and-coming women. In my own field, in psychiatry, even though women actually comprise a slight majority of medical students and psychiatry residents, the numbers of women um, who enter psychiatry are actually equal for the last 20 years, but somehow only 12 out of almost 120 psychiatry departments are led by a woman chair. So this continues to be an issue in all aspects of our society. And um, neglecting to elevate women's voices means that we also neglect the courage of liberators like Harriet Tubman, or Sojourner Truth, or we minimize and even denigrate the unconventional, unconventional bravery that was shown by Simone Biles or Naomi Osaka in the Olympics a couple of weeks ago. I was really inspired last night to hear Allison Felix talk about her career in track and field. And I mean, at 35, winning 11 gold medals, um, and how she just really wanted to pass on a legacy for her daughter of achieving through integrity and purpose. So how many of you have heard of the phenomenon of mansplaining? <laughs> Need a show of hands. Let's, men, how many of you have heard of mansplaining? <laughs> Women, how many of you have heard of mansplaining? Yeah. Get that hand up there. <laughs> so this is mansplaining. Let me interrupt your expertise with my confidence. And this is particularly prevalent in academic medicine, uh, where um, a man seems to feel the need to uh, 
overrule a woman's expertise with her, his own competence, or his own confidence. And it basically devalues and underestimates the skills, knowledge, and talents. And guys, we do this at our peril. A friend of mine sent me this wonderful meme about um, underestimating women. Uh, in Boston, during a shortage of coffee, a wealthy merchant was driving up the price by stockpiling it. So a crowd of over 100 angry women marched to the merchant's warehouse, demanded the keys, and grabbed him by the neck when he refused. There was a rumor that they spanked him. <laughs> then they opened the doors, loaded up the carts with coffee, and left. <laughs> so men, we underestimate women at your peril. <laughs> especially under-caffeinated ones. <laughs> um, we're going to show a clip from Lord of the Rings. It's my favorite example of mansplaining, um, where the king of the Nazgul, also known as the bad guy in the story, uh, tries to mansplain it to Eowyn, who's a warrior in her own right. <laughs> Feast on his flesh. I will kill you if you touch him. Do not come between the Nazgul and his prey. the best lines in the whole trilogy, I am no man. <laughs> so if, this, if in this series of sermons we've only just made you aware that these women existed and that they were used by God, women like Hagar, Esther, Priscilla, and today Deborah and Jael, that's enough. But there's more to this. So let's unpack the story of Deborah and Jael. 
Uh, those of you who have heard me preach before know that I like to nerd out about details of history. So I just want to give you a little bit of perspective. Um, Moses and the Exodus, when the Israelites left Egypt to come to the Promised Land, was about 1500 BC, give or take a few years. And King David's reign started not until like 1000 BC, so 500 years later. And there's this period of time when the Israelites have moved into Palestine and are trying to take over the land when it's kind of the wild, wild west. It's a state of anarchy. And it encompasses just a number of generations. And the book of Judges tells these stories from this time and sums it up with the final sentence, in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And during this time, people were led by judges. And the judges were not people that we think of who sit up on a bench and, and determine sentences, but they are, were people who rescued the people from their enemies and established justice. Judges 2, verses 18 and 19 says, Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout that judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. And this is a constant cycle that just recurs over and over again. The Israelites do evil in the Lord's sight. They forget about the Lord their God. But when they cry out for help, the Lord raises up a rescuer to save them. Judges is a book where we see a lot of what we're like as humans. And sometimes we don't want to see what we're like. <laughs> Some of the judges that are featured in the book are a little less than heroic. Some of them are like, you know, our Sunday school heroes, reluctant Gideon, who in chapter six needed extra encouragement from God in the form of signs and fleeces. I can really relate to that guy. Or there's Samson, who in chapters 13 through 16 comes off as kind of this capricious character or a trickster, tying foxes together by their tails and carelessly giving away the secret of his God-given strength. And it's also in the book of Judges that we see probably the worst act of unprecedented br brutality toward women. And for this reason, we're going to put a trigger warning on the rest of the book and include only chapters four and five in today's tips to read. In my research, I came across a um, blog post by a Jewish scholar named Yael Leibovitz, J.L., and she uses the story of Deborah as an example, noting in an editorial for the Times of Israel that where women's roles in a society are minimized, society is less stable. And she draws a parallel between Deborah's day and today and states, we are living in a time when people are speaking up against millennia old injustices and claiming that a truly stable society can only thrive when women's voices resound. And we need women's voices to resound. The condition of our world today is one where we need every woman's voice to be heard. Whether she's an ICU nurse fighting COVID 
a state legislator or a congresswoman advocating for her people, or pastors like Gay or Sue or Becca or Marta. As dark as the times were, then and now, the biggest overall theme of this whole book of the Bible, but in particular Judges, is that God is a liberator. And here we have the story of two women who are instrumental in bringing about liberation. This story is found in chapters 4 and 5 of Judges. And the four main characters are Sisera, Deborah, Barak, and Jael. And I think that as a start, it's helpful to have a little bit of orientation to Deborah's world. Um, I've admitted to being a history nerd. You also need to know I'm a map geek. So um, here I just uh, want to point out a couple of the places that you'll hear in this story and have that in your mind. Um, so as the people of Israel entered Palestine, they had to encounter various peoples who were already there. And their main antagonists were the Canaanites. And Judges 1.19 says the Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. The Israelites primarily had bronze weapons in this period, so the Canaanites had a major technological advantage. But chariots are really less useful in hill country, right? And so when the story meets when the story opens, we meet Sisera, who is a Canaanite, Canaanite commander who's got a fortress here at this place called Harasheth Hagoyim. Now, there's some other folks in this area named Midianites and Kenites, and they're kind of cousins and in-laws of the people of Israel. They're other branches of the family of, of Abraham. And the Kenites in particular are thought to be descended from Zipporah, who was the woman who Moses married. So the story opens with Sisera basically dominating this whole area with his 900 iron chariots. And he's described as ruthlessly oppressing Israel for 20 years. He's basically raiding them constantly and controlling the commerce. There's no way you can get from up here to down there without having to deal with him and his king who's up here at Hazor. A couple of other places that are going to be mentioned in the story are going to be Kadesh, which is where Barak lives, and the hill country of Ephraim where there's a palm, the palm of Deborah is going to be down here where Deborah is going to be sitting and uh, leading the people. I also wanted to point out Mount Tabor, which is kind of the high country here over the valley of the Kishon River. In Judges 5, 6, and 7, it says that people avoided the main roads and travelers stayed on winding pathways so that there were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother of Israel. And that is where we begin the story. So I'm reading from Judges 4, verse, starting at verse 4. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, 
the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River, and there I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Herosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of, of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Herosheth Hagoyim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. <clears throat> Now we're going to take a little pause in the narrative to reflect a little bit on what we know about Deborah. We know that Deborah is the only recorded woman, woman judge in the Bible, and that with wisdom and knowledge, she served in that role for 40 years. We can see that she confidently and courageously gives direction, and she supports and encourages Barak, another person that God has called to lead. We know that she is also a prophet. God has entrusted her with his words of justice, his words of encouragement, his words of freedom and liberation. She's confident and yet, as you may see if you read chapter five, she's also humble. She knows that God is in control, that the power is his, and that she merely plays a part in his liberation of his people. And on the subject of prophecy, I have to add as a co-leader of Sockham, um, a plug. It's, Sockham is the, cool, the school of kingdom ministry where we learn not only the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, models of prophecy, but also how God can and will speak to us directly for ourselves and for others if we ask him, for, ask him to and we give him time and space to talk to us. I get to put in a plug about Barack because I'm really impressed that he was not only willing to listen to a woman but also to be led by her. And in fact, as it turns out, he relies on her. And I think this is great leadership. He knows he cannot do it all. And he recognizes good advice when it's given to him. 
She tells him to gather local troops and station them on the biggest mountain in the area, which might very well give you an advantage against wheeled vehicles in the valley below. There's also a little suggestion in Judges 5 in the Song of Celebration that follows that God helped out with some timely rainstorms and flooding in the valley, which really would have followed up things for the chariots. But most importantly, Barak recognizes that there's a need for spiritual authority on site. And he recognizes that Deborah has it. He wants her calling the shots and directing the timing of what God is calling him to do. And so now back to our story. Here's the part about Jael in chapter, or in verse 17. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor, who was Sisera's boss. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come into my tent, sir. Come in, don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said, I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there is anyone here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. <laughs> when Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with a tent peg through his temple. So John's been working with the preaching team about having us develop memorable take-home lines for our sermons. And so I thought that for this one, it would be, listen to women, there's a lot at stake. <laughs> do, do you think I hammered that point too hard? <laughs> but I just imagined Barack opening up that tent flap, looking inside and saying to himself, Oh, that's what Deborah meant. <laughs> because of JL, this story changes from being a military action to being the history-changing, independent action of a non-Israelite woman. The initiator in this part of the story is JL. She's a kick-butt, takes-no-prisoners character. <laughs> Yay! Yale Leibovitz, who Scott uh, quoted earlier, says that J.L. lulls Sisera into a false sense of security by playing into his assumptions of female powerlessness. In the most maternal of acts, she offers him a respite from the battlefield with a blanket and some milk. <laughs> she uses his own stereotypes to fell him, and the leader Deborah memorializes J.L.'s victory in a post-battle chant that reverberates throughout the land Powerful women with a bandwidth to create a better world mark the zenith of the book's 150-year period. So one final take-home. I found that there's generally two ways that religion gets used in the world. 
either to oppress and control or to liberate. Deborah shows us the kind of faith in God that liberates, which is the same relationship with God that Jesus shows us. In a dark world, God is always in the mood to liberate. Steve Nicholson, in his sermon a few weeks ago, talked about how God is so ready to show mercy to us. Deborah, in her actions, points toward Jesus in being an agent of God's deliverance. And Jesus' first public sermon in the Gospel of Luke carries the same message. It said that he went into the synagogue and stood up to read the scriptures, and someone brought him the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. He unrolled it and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then Luke tells us that Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, sat down and began to speak to them. This scripture you heard has been fulfilled this very day. We know that there are people here right now who are crying out for justice and freedom from things that are oppressing you. And Jesus reminds us that God's kingdom is here now, and he is here to liberate. If you read Judges 5, you'll see it's entirely a song of celebration about God's liberation for all the liberators, for Deborah and Barak, for J.L., who gets called the most blessed among women, for all the people from all the tribes who stood up and followed. And then they throw in some digs at those who don't. So this is our chance to celebrate our liberation as well. At this time, I want to invite the worship team to come up and uh, lead us. And Anita will uh, share some encouragement for the week ahead. So here are our tips. Read Judges 4 and 5 and see how Deborah and JL are celebrated. Number two, pray for liberation. Maybe for you, maybe for someone else. And for the do tip, learn how to encourage others who need encouragement like Deborah did for Barack. And consider learning how to hear the voice of God for yourself and for others. If you're interested in learning more about Sockham, you can just write it in on their prayer request section on the back of your connection card and put it in the back, in the boxes, and we'll get in touch with you. So we've come now to the point in our service where we respond to God in worship and prayer. And so I'm going to ask those who are on our prayer team to come forward. As I was praying this week about this talk, um, God was kind of highlighting some things in my mind um, that there may be people here who are feeling like they've lost the trust of others or the trust of God. Um, 
people may be feeling minimized or invisible, like Courtney shared last week, or you may be in need of God's liberation and justice, or for any other reason, you know, um, if you are in need of healing or anything else, please come up and see our people in the corners. <laughs> please come and, and get prayer for whatever reason, and um, the team is going to dismiss us when they're done. Thanks.